Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Growth Insights. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, and this is our August episode of our Fresh Pulse series, featuring Jana Parker, Principal of Circana's Fresh Center of Excellence, and Anna Marie Rorink, President of 210 Analytics, a valued Circana research partner. Um, happy August, ladies. I know we're looking at July data, and I still want to talk about inflation. It's still very much an issue. Um, Anna Marie, we, we saw inflation up in July, but still a little softer than it has been. So tell us what's happening, because we know there's still a lot of pressure being coming with all this inflation. Yeah, 100%. You know, it, it, that is exactly the headlines that we're seeing. You know, inflation is slowing. Inflation, yes, yes, it is. But uh, 5% is still not nothing. And it's 5% on top of what we had been seeing, which was double digits um, and very high single digits. So people are still paying that 24%, 25% more, depending on the category. Um, but I also think that inflation is one aspect of an entire economic story. And we have briefly talked about it in during our, our various podcasts over the, the last couple of months. And I'll, I'll reiterate some of them. And that is, in March, we saw the end of the supplemental SNAP benefits. Um, that pulled millions and millions out of the marketplace. We talked about billion, 23 billion in food and 23 billion. Yeah. Thank you. I always forget that number. So that is that is massive. Um, then we're looking at credit card debt. Like finally, during the pandemic, one of the very few silver linings was that credit card debt started to go down. Well, it has done the full UE, and we are looking at record credit card debt, almost a trillion dollars for the total US. What is happening? in addition to that total number, is that everybody that had flexible interest rates on their credit card or their mortgage is getting killed right now, having had uh, federal increases time and again, and all of a sudden we're seeing a huge delinquency rate, and that delinquency rate is especially sitting among Gen Z, so those younger consumers. Well, that's not the only hit that they're enduring right now. And, and not to say Gen Z is the only ones with college debt because it goes way higher up in the ages. But that is the other thing that we're looking at. We are seeing tremendous pressure coming down the road on those college loans being ha having to be paid back. And all of that is resulting in, Joan, I think you have some of the numbers on that, right? Yep, we do. I mean, it's $27 billion in student loan for those who are in forbearance, so those who hadn't been paying. And think about that. That's on top of the $23 billion in the reduction of those SNAP, those extra SNAP benefits that you just talked about. And when yeah. you think about it, for those households or those, those debt holders who haven't been continuing to pay on that student loan, that's like $370 a month. That is a tremendous amount of money. That's a... Mm, yeah. And, and so I think it is not just that inflation piece, not just a credit card debt. It is just all of that stacking up over time and on top of each other. In addition to, of course, our world is food and beverages, but it goes wide, way wider than that. 
So end conclusion of it all is that a lot of my clients and discussions that I have, people are going back to the drawing board to say, hmm, we know the boomer dollars were starting to decline as a share of total spend, but they're still tremendously important. And in some categories, they are still the most important buyer, depending. Um, that Gen X is a very small generation, but responsible for massive spending. Why is that? Well, they're in their family years where time, money, health, everything matters. So what is happening is that a lot of companies are sort of going back to how do we look at the unit and volume pressure that is happening right now instead of the luxury of looking a little bit further down the road and really starting to engage more with that Gen Z? The one big takeaway, and Jana, please talk about this more, is that re-engaging with the boomer is not the same boomer than it was 10 years ago. It is not that family of, of four or five with tremendous spending. They are now empty nesters. They are now often retired and on a um, fixed income, but they are still massive spenders. So I think it makes all the sense in the world to take a second look at them, but it's through a very different lens. How about you, Jana? I think that really underscores that you can't just have an overarching generational strategy. And I think yep. the takeaway with that as well is a lot of folks have chased first young millennials, Gen Z. I like to talk about as under 40 and over 40, just to simplify. And really the biggest differences are you've got brands and ways of shopping and ways of thinking that are already entrenched in older generations. But Anne-Marie's right. The big headline when I was at uh, Fresh Forward last week in the Fresh Foods Council was, from our retailers, I'm losing volume, I'm losing market share. And the reality is in that you have to keep engaging your core customer, potentially the older, a little more set in their ways. And then you also now have to do have an eye to the future because ultimately every food and every product has a core group of consumers who are subsidizing and buying it. I will say one thing, you both are amazing and there's so many great economists who are looking at the macroeconomic trends. But when I look at fresh food on a department and category and food basis, what I'm seeing is a part of the store that had some resilience in light of the pound and wave upon wave of headwind that we've had. The reality though, in light of even these economic woes, meets fruits and vegetables, and increasingly interesting, especially among boomers, solutions for the time starved, which are arguably really prevalent in perimeter. We're not necessarily seeing those. If we see them trend on a national basis, things like deli prepared chicken, which is cooked chicken in the deli. Yeah, you're thinking rotisserie, but it could be fried. It could be baked. That category is on fire. But so are raw chicken breasts, by the way. So it really does show that right now people are finding value in chicken. It is the lowest price per volume protein. Yes, we see a stronger baby boomer correlation with wanting to go raw and make it themselves. But everyone, whether you're an involved cook or a time-starved convenience, make it quick for me, either of those products, neither of those households, value to them is about solutions and meeting their needs. And the, and the more these dollars get stretched in every household, right? Because it's not like the start market's on fire for the higher income folks, right? The, we have seen over the last 20 plus months of inflationary periods, the more you stretch the dollar, people won't jump to the bottom of the lowest priced item on shelf. They will keep the products that make the most sense of their lifestyle. Convenience, basics, which are not just 
banana snapples anymore, right? We're seeing a lot of trips on a lot of products like grapes and avocados that are doing well, fresh salad kits still doing well. And I guess where I want to round that point is don't assume that in this economic situation that you should A, skip ahead to the future to Anne-Marie's point, focus on your core consumer, and then make sure if you want to grow your sales that you understand the value, not just the price that your product provides. Well, you've kind of uncapped a lot there. And I want to dig in a little bit more because even as you're talking about just chicken, so I'm going all over the place and the amount of time that people want to spend on preparing a meal. And I know that um, from your data that I've seen, people are leaning in more to that fresh prepared. But to your point on value, I think buying a rotisserie chicken or any of that prepared chicken in store, people can get a lot of value out of it. You can really stretch it over several meals. So there's a lot there. And even if I'm thinking, oh, chicken breasts, maybe someone is entertaining and they want to throw something on the grill and it's a, it's less expensive than than steaks. Um, so I'm, I'm, there's just too much going on in there. And it's not a generational thing. It's not even necessarily a household income thing because it's how much time people want to spend on meals, which by the way, I think Anne-Marie, you just said it, 77% of meals are still prepared in the home. Now that's down a couple percentage points from like the peak, but it's still way more than we were pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we how do we pick a lane for for some of these topics? Well, and, and I think that's just it. We can't. We don't have the luxury of picking a lane anymore the way we used to because life is full of conflicting choices, and we don't always are even willing to make a choice. Um, I always say life has become about and instead of or. And that just really means that as a CPG company, as a retailer, as a supplier too, um, we have to keep that in mind that linear choices are no longer a luxury that we have. And, um, but it also means opportunity in my mind where there are opportunities where people come in to buy an ultra value meal, we'll call it, right? I'm gonna just cook from scratch. I'm gonna buy the chicken because that's the cheapest. Um, but how can we still delight them into either giving back some time to themselves, some sanity, maybe a flavor that they had never tried before? So there is opportunity there. It just, you know, just I hate that word, but, um, <laughs> you know, we have to work harder at it. Right. And therein lies, I think, both the opportunity and the threat, because we have the labor issues in the store. We have the labor issues in the factories. Um, and therefore, I also think, you know, working with data partners like yourself becomes infinitely more important because we don't have the luxury of being all things to all people. And yet the marketplace requires us to be that. So how can we most adequately spend our dollars in our communications? What do we do best in our label strategies? How do we price? How do we promote? And that's really where the rich uh, data comes from. And that's why I'm so super excited about your, I believe it's total wallet solution because Complete people don't. Wallet. Yeah. Complete yeah. Wallet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, because one of the, which lane do we pick? Uh, unfortunately, we also have people not sitting in just the retail lane or just the restaurant lane. So yes, life is full of choices and it's about ant, not or. Yeah. Complete wallet, which is going to debut very soon is about how we're spending our money across our entire wallet. It's food and food service, it's general merchandise, it's apparel and entertainment. So it it it's absolutely fascinating. And to your point, it's pretty hard to make those generalizations about 
a generation or urban versus rural. It's it's really challenging. And so that brings me back to some of those things where I, I want to pick up on two more um, highlights or things that, that really popped at me on your most recent report about shopping and trips, because we still have a lot of those quick trips way up. And I think, Jana, you're reporting that there's 10 more trips per month to stores than there were just three years ago, which is pretty interesting. At the same time, e-commerce or online shopping is also ticking up because it's helping people stick to their list, stick to their budget. Both of these, what I believe share in common, the quick trip and the online, is that people are pretty focused on getting in and getting out or sticking to a list. Where's the discovery? Where's the, you know, that that to me feels like a, a the both the shopper is missing out and it makes it more challenging for that retailer or that manufacturer, Jana. Yeah, I think definitely. By the way, just to correct, because I know there's probably statisticians like me, we are seeing 10 more trips over the course of a year. We're averaging about 200 trips to any store for food and beverage. And it is more than not just two years ago. We also analyzed or we also analyzed a pre-COVID period because I had someone say, as I immediately did in the data, like, well, yeah, but we were in lockdown. We couldn't go to more stores. The reality is, is not only do we open back up, we are splitting our ticket more than ever. And I think one of the misconceptions, there's two things that I've learned digging into that fact, because yes, more and more trips, especially in food and beverage, and especially for fresh food, have less items in the basket. That is key. Actually, when someone chooses a product in a basket, our volume in that item is holding pretty steady, meat being the outlier from a fresh foods perspective. A few other pantry stocking categories are down. But the reality is, is that we're putting less items, i.e. we're going to less departments, aisles, and categories than we were before because we're splitting those items. We've definitely seen that have an impact on the meat department. People are doing just-in-time buying. So maybe today they're just buying the chicken breast, like Anne-Marie said, because they're people over and they're going to grill chicken because it's a low price per pound. They can buy a lot of them. But we are actually still seeing good, healthy trips on beefsteak. So that's the second thing I want to dispel. We're making more trips, but we're not racing to just the cheapest things we can find. Some of the really interesting non-essential foods and fresh that we've seen gain trip frequency and unit volume sales are things like, you know, cherries in an amazing season. Great. Every retailer had cherries front and center in an active low price. So not every retailer won cherry market share just because cherries had a good season. Big difference from last year or years past. Secondarily, Rainier cherries outperformed conventional and regular. Rainier cherries are an example of, a, you call it a brand, you call it a varietal, but it is a premium eating experience that averages much higher per pound so if we were all operating like rational beings, the economists think we are, why would we be buying higher tier cherries? Well, we all are thinking now of why we did. In fact, about someone listening goes, I love your cherries. So I'm just saying, I look at things like floral bouquets, fresh fruit party trays, things like, oh my gosh, donuts are on fire in the fresh perimeter. And all of those things, those non-essentials growing trips and unit volume in this environment show that when we can provide an escape, when we can make an easy entertaining solution, we've been tracking a lot of the deli meat and cheese trays that are for multiple sizes, one, a few, and many that help charcuterie go. All of those things really do make a difference. But I think in this quicker trip environment, 
we typically pull the price lever in fresh foods when we want to try to increase sales or to your point about where's the discovery, the price lever and putting up a little in-store or doing a retailer app, right? Ad deal. But the reality is if we're only going to one or two departments and putting a few items in our basket, we'll never know that fresh pomegranates are in season and you've got the best pick of the crop on them. By the way, another product growing in units and volume. So I really think the headline, and one more thing before I go on that point, the other big piece is when we do see promotions, because yes, promotions are back. We talked about that last month. We are seeing an increase year over year in most departments on the share of sales that are on promotion. Great news, retailers are promoting again. However, the lift or efficiency on driving incremental sales when we're on promotion is down or flat in almost every department in food and beverage except seafood. And frankly, seafood was a space where the prices had gotten out of hand for demand, so we needed that boost. When we can't pull the price lever to drive demand, and we're not walking up and down every aisle to discover new products, we have to communicate differently. And that is where it's really exciting, as Anna Marie said, because in my 20 years in Fresh, I used to always joke, we can't put out a Super Bowl ad when we have the coolest new product on the block, like a major CPG can do. But we don't need to anymore. I think it's about finding your lane and grooving right on through with it. And data does make that a lot easier to do than ever before. And activating on that data is so much easier. And so it's not about trying to be all lanes. It's about finding your lane and running it. Both you ladies talked about where's the discovery. And I agree. People are, you know, when you don't have the money, you can't afford the buyer's remorse of why in the world did I spend $4 on this horrifically tasting thing? However, what we are seeing is that people are a little more lenient in trying something new if it's by a brand that they love. And that is something that is really, really important because we all know when economic pressure is on, that foot goes to the brakes on the innovation pipeline. And right now is a time to lean in as a brand to really innovate and continue to connect because people are more likely to try a line extension of your brand than something brand, brand new where they might burn. And I yes. just want to clarify because it doesn't have to be branded and fresh. I think Rainier cherries are an excellent example. We've also seen some similar things in premium cuts of steak. It doesn't, that's the biggest thing I keep telling people, you know, Coke and Pepsi are actually a flavor and a product that people have a preference for. Rainier or conventional cherries are the same thing. And I want to echo that. We've seen tremendous growth in perimeter pies. And I think it's a great example of where you want a flavor, a food, you know, but especially if it's a lower cost per unit increase, you want to stay with a food, you know, and just go a little bit extra. I think that actually food service does such a good job of that, as do big CPG manufacturers. So rather than here, we'll go within our brand and get worried about we don't have brands and meat and produce. It's about you make a food. And how do you find the next version of that food that makes it a little bit different? That same thing applies to private label or store brands as well. Because once you build the trust, you know, then you can encourage people to, you know, you love this, now try this. I love Jana's example of we might not have brands, but in a way, a cherry or a peach is a brand. And I'll, I'll, I walked into Publix a few weeks ago and they had a display right up front that was from an item that was a mix somehow of a cherry and a plum. I love both. Um, now, my daughter calls it um, 
chums. I don't know what the official name is, but we'll call it that for the sake of this uh, conversation. I saw it, took a picture, felt that I needed to buy it because I took a picture and they were delicious. Um, but I thought they were $2.99 for the bag. Turned out they were $2.99 a pound. And I ended up paying nine bucks for my little experiment there. My family loved them so much. My husband's in the store. <laughs> he made the same mistake, bought another bag, <laughs> took it to a party. Um, so yes, new can absolutely draw the eye. And, and to your point of, you know, a cherry or a plum is a brand in the eye of the consumer. Um, just seeing something like that, where I love both drove me to spend um, a total of 20 bucks on items <laughs> I would have never bought Which before. The point being a cherry and a plum. One other thing to that end, the ladies see me on thing, but I've noticed I shop in full disclosure, I shop Albertsons. I was at Albertsons Safeway last night picking up a prescription and both myself and my teenage son needed um, lunch for tomorrow. And I really like that Albertsons, Kroger does the same thing, but they have certain items with the sticker at Kroger called Home Chef or Ready Meals is the one I'm holding up for the viewers or for the, the listeners out there. And they've organized them in the store in both cases in a great location and I am now happily snacking on some crackers and crab salad. I'm so happy today because it solved my need that I do not leave this chair like I know neither of you ladies do from, you know, nine to five. And what I wanted and I was tired of the other things I'd done. I didn't, you know, it was fast. I hadn't had crab in forever. And I will tell you, the price point was only $5. And the point to me was. I met so many of my surprise and delight needs by something I hadn't had in a while. But honestly, putting that sticker ready meals stopped me in my tracks. I knew this was for my situation and there was a variety of items. We've seen that throughout the data. The difference in deli prepared and convenience and produce and meat in deli is really be strong with what you are for. So some of these little things like tagging it as heat and eat or ready meal and grouping items together that solve that problem Surprise and delighting people with new varieties that they didn't see before. All of those are the new future of fresh and the ideas are happening everywhere. We see it in the data that they're adding value. It's a matter of finding more of them. And frankly, also not just assuming that every great idea you have in the middle is going to be successful. I'd argue that what worries me about everything we talked about today, I think we have some unbelievable foods in this industry, fresh and center. But if we don't launch them in the right stores to the right people with the right marketing, none of our future, none of the future $9 a pound future, uh, you know, families will be finding them. So this is much less to quote our good friend, Larry Levine, it's not about distribution anymore. It's about, it's not about perfect distribution. It's about the right distribution. Right. So there's one thing that I want to touch on before we wrap up. And it's along the same vein of discovery and fresh and what we've seen or what I saw was there was a big uptick in cottage cheese that is being driven by social channels. So talk about picking a lane, you know, what a great discovery place, lane, um, social media. And I'm, I'm loving the whole cottage cheese things. It was my first appetizer as a toddler was cottage cheese on saltine crackers. And now it's basically burrata for the everyday, right? Talk to me about cottage cheese. Yes. And yes, it's a great example, though. I will just say, you know, we talked a lot in our past about social media trends driving. And a lot of times the food or the brand or the retailer is on the back end of that. 
I think one of the things that we're seeing is I know uh, major retailers are making investments in having organic social engagement that includes all of their foods. And we can all argue about the role of a brand or a retailer on social. It needs to be a native voice, et cetera. We are not the experts in that. But I think whether it's cottage cheese today or feta and, you know, mini tomatoes, the point I want to make is you also see lasting patterns change because you've introduced people to a food in a way they didn't think of. We today still see feta households who entered the category when that was having its social media spike, many of them stayed and many became the core consumers. So what we're seeing with cottage cheese is there is this influencer out there that her entire diet consists of chicken sausage and cottage cheese. But <laughs> I do think that obviously caused a bunch of the spikes, um, but cottage cheese is also writing that everything in moderation balance, but still a little bit of a focus on lower carbs, et cetera. And I think cottage cheese is a great example of a category that started to educate people about different ways to use it, um, its nutritional profile. And, uh, you know, and then of course we're, we're seeing just a wide variety of sources that people are using not only to plan meals, but really only also socialize through meals, much like food has always been culture. Um, social media in a way is just another way to express culture. Well, I'm going to make a big, bold prediction for August because it is my favorite tomato month. Um, but what I'm going to predict is that mozzarella is going to be the big cheese of August. So if it was cottage cheese in June and July, it's going to be mozzarella. So ladies, thank you so much. I just want to recap, um, a little bit of what we talked about. And so much of it is still about inflation, but Anna Marie, you really nailed it in talking about it's, you know, the other major economic factors out there with losing some of those extra SNAP benefits and all the um, student loans that are going to have to start being repaid if they hadn't been, you know, if you hadn't been keeping up with it. And we know that $27 billion of it has is still outstanding. All the credit card debt, which is especially occurring among young consumers, but again, it's not the only, they're not the only ones. Um, we're still looking for value and value can mean many different things. It could be some making it easier to put the meal on the table. It could be a, a, a preference for fresh prepared, or it could be a preference for making it from scratch. And there's always opportunities to delight consumers, inspire consumers, either through direct messaging from the retailer, which I wish retailers were more engaged in social as well as influencers that we see on social media. So with that, I wanna thank you for your time and I look forward to finding out if my prediction on mozzarella really holds for August. All right, let's do it. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.